Welcome to Live Committed. It's a central platform for the Ariel Tribe community, where we believe in the individuals about executing the discipline of standards plus habits are going to equal results in their life. On this podcast, we want to provide a space where you can learn to grow through conversations and connection with other people to reach the highest vision that you have for yourself, mind, body, and spirit. And at Ariel Tribe, we are passionate about results. So whether you're feeling stuck in your business, your marriage, your spiritual journey, or whatever's going on in your life, we would love to invite you to the tribe to learn how you can live a committed life. You can always visit us at www.ariel-tribe.com. That's A-R-I-E-L-tribe.com to learn more about who we are and how to get connected to the tribe. So Aaron, let's get on with the show. What's up, tribe? Hello, tribe. We are back. We're back. We're here. Still we're here. taking ground. Still taking ground. Yes. <laughs> we're yeah. still we're still taking over the world one person at a time. So I, I, I want to kind of talk about this because you're bringing this topic to the table. Can I go ahead and jump in on this? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this is, uh, is going to be, I, I think, one, one of the better podcasts we've talked about. Like, I'm really excited for this one. This is People are going to benefit from this topic. They're going to relate to it. But I think what's even more exciting is that we're going to give people tools on how to like move forward. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm excited for you to unpack this for us. Yeah, this is a big one. And I, uh, I'll begin with, um, I came across a book this last summer, uh, called the other half of church. If you haven't read it, I, um, to be honest with you, I don't care if you're a believer or not, if you haven't read it, you should read this book. Yeah, it sounds great. Because it's just so good, uh, built around the neuroscience of of discipleship and community and transformation and how we actually become, from a brain level, how we actually become more whole, and uh, which has been a life pursuit for me because discipleship's always been a passion. And so, uh, how do we actually help people be set free from the things that keep them stuck has been just part of my heartbeat for my entire life. And so, uh, coming across this book was really fascinating. I was like, man, I, I got to see if they have anything else written, um, these, these authors and they did. So I, I immediately got another book and another book and, um, found out that they have a coaching organization that helps actually people apply this in specifically they work within the church, but they also do it for just individuals that want to apply this in their own life. And so, um, I was like, okay, then I know who's going to be my coach for the year. You know? Uh, so I immediately reached out to them, hired a guy by the name of Michael Hendricks, who was the, uh, one of the authors of, uh, the other half of church and have just been blown away at, so cool. at what I'm learning. Um, and we're just in the beginning stages of it. And so I uh, want to share some of the information pieces, but then want to talk about application and how we actually can make this transition uh, into something um, that's actually really profound. I'm just curious, did you guys talk about the neuroscience behind like a meat lower pizza and why they're so good? Or did you get that far yet? You know, <laughs> it's got to be emotional. Yeah, it's got to be emotional. It's got to be emotional. It's like there's some circuit in my mind that says, yes, I could have that right now. So, um, so here's here's the, the beginning premise. The, the uh, Western mind thinks very left-brained, and this goes all the way back to the Enlightenment and Descartes and, and uh, this, I think, therefore I am, and really the push towards rational thought being the driver for all things. Um, what it did was 
it kind of moved us to a half-brained life. So the simply speaking, and this isn't profound information, but the left side of the brain is kind of your rational brain. The right side of your brain is more the creative, emotive uh, side of your brain. It actually does a lot more than that, which we'll talk about. But um, what happened in, in the Enlightenment was there was this move away from anything emotional. There was this move away from even creativity. Uh, so you had, um, you're coming out of the Renaissance. And so you have this move towards rationality, um, science, facts, statistics, like a, a move away from creative thought. Um, how the Western mind then teaches is we give prepositional truth with the expectation that you, once you have that truth, are able to apply your own will onto those truths so that you can correctly execute them in your life. So um, the church specifically is a prime example of a group that has just really picked up on that. And, and so the church teaches these prepositional truths from the Bible. They're true. Um, and then it's like, basically the equation is prepositional truth plus your will plus in, in our context, plus whatever the Holy spirit gives you, um, will equal changed life. The problem is what we're proving is that it doesn't work. And, and while everybody recognizes that, uh, um, the church is good at communicating prepositional truths, really bad at applying them. Like Christians look just like the world that they, you know, where we say we have this this transformative power at work in us and we do. And yet, um, it is, uh, it doesn't work. Uh, it doesn't actually produce like we're just as addicted. We're just as in debt. We're just as divorced. The, the people inside the church statistically look just like people outside of the church. And so where is this, you know, the Romans eight says I, I'm more than a conqueror through Christ. Where is the more than conqueror piece? Cause it doesn't look like we're experiencing, a whole bunch of people who are conquering. Yeah, I like I like how you frame that up because to me it's like a centerpiece of a table. The word transformational. Yeah. Right. Like, hey, if it what should be happening, right, is not happening. To your point. Yeah, I, I should be able to say, okay, so I have this struggle in my life, whether that's an obstacle, a sin, a stick point, a brokenness, whatever I gain from Jesus, I should be able to apply it to that situation, and then start to experience freedom and victory over it. We just don't see that happening. And, and the question is why? Well, the, the why is because we have a half-brained Christianity. We have, because we have a half-brained worldview um, built all the way back. And, and, and it, it doesn't even, it's, it, it's us without us even thinking about it. Um, part of it is, you know, the, the stoic heresy in the church. Let's get, let me just go really nerdy, <laughs> nerdy on you for just a minute. All right. The stoic heresy in the church was that uh, the, the power of everything resides in the mind. But specifically when you say that it resides in the left side of the brain. So, um, there's a lot that I like about stoic philosophy in the sense of talking about right mindset mm -hmm. and right thinking and, um, and even on our emotional uh, regulation, I yeah, would say. even on our, uh, Instagram page, there's a lot of stoic philosophers yeah. that we quote there because the quote is good. Yeah. Not necessarily because we would agree with everything that they said, but because this quote is good. But the problem is what they did was they eliminated any need for the supernatural. They eliminated any need for the spiritual world. And so so everything for the Stoic uh, resides in the brain. That's all there is. Mm. And so that was a problem in Christianity, which fundamentally believes that this is a, this is a stopping point on our journey. This isn't the end of it. Um, and so uh, this, this regulating in the left-hand side of the brain, it, it has some benefits in the sense of, um, you know, when you, 
when you can function in it well, it doesn't matter how you feel. You just do the right thing. Well, that, there's some, there's some maturity in that. It also doesn't work. Uh, it doesn't work because we all have places where our emotions are making decisions for us. And we don't even know. So in trying to re-engage the right-hand side of the brain, what we start to find, and this is where um, the science behind this is fascinating. Um, and um, what, I'm, what I'm gleaning from, from my coach now is uh, more in the, here's what the brain science says. Uh, it's not just thoughts and, and ideas. It's here's what the brain science actually says. So the 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 center for transformation for us, the, the place in the brain where we actually become something different is in the right-hand side of the brain. The downside to that is we're neglecting the right-hand side of the brain. Um, and so we've got to figure out how do we re-engage the right-hand side of the brain. And, and there's some, some ways to do that. But uh, what happens uh, in the right-hand side of the brain is information comes first uh, through the right-hand side of the brain from back to front and then moves to the left the left-hand side of the brain and goes front to back. Um, so your right-hand side of your brain is functioning and, and actually functions faster than your left-hand side of your brain. Um, and it, it's something that actually regulates transformation. It regulates how we perceive threat, how we perceive... Um, uh, people who are safe, like our, our, our right-hand side of our brain is scanning six times a second. It's scanning the room to, to see it, it, when you're in a crowd of people who is okay for me and who's not okay for me. Yeah. And, and so it has all this criteria that it uses that, that we don't even, we don't even realize we're using it. Uh, and so it, it does things for us that are actually really good, but, um, we don't know how to use it. And so it becomes really problematic. So Starting to re-engage the right-hand side of the brain is really, really uh, helpful for us when we're trying. And, and I mean, like the whole premise of the aerial tribe is becoming the best version of ourselves. If you really want that, this is a critical conversation for how we get there. Um, and because you, you can have all the grit in the world, it will still be problematic if you don't understand how to engage the right-hand side of the brain. One of the things that's interesting about the right brain is it functions a lot like uh, like a relational breaker circuit board. So you have a, a circuit board full of breakers that are all connected to relationship. And what happens is you, when you feel, and this is an important statement, when you feel too many big emotions for too long. So that's our two criteria too many big emotions for too long. Those, those circuit breakers pop. So now all of a sudden we don't, we don't feel we're not, we're not relationally, we're not capable of being relationally connected anymore. Yeah. So out of that, what happens is, um, we begin to, uh, change how we see people and that most of us live uh, snapping in and out of this space without even realizing that we're doing it. And so we wind up falling into what's called when we have these broken relational circuits, uh, we fall into enemy mode and we'll talk about what that is. And we don't even realize that we're there, but we're living in the world in enemy mode. Well, here's the reality of that. If you're living like, for example, in your home, if you're living in enemy mode, you're giving your family 
broken brain. Like you, your brain is broken. And so what happens in that instance is you're transferring, let your legacy, your children will carry on a broken brain because their relational circuits are popped too. And they don't even know. It's not fair. So we have to figure out like, what does that mean? What does that look like? And then what does a whole brain look like? And then how do we get there? Yeah. Um, and so that's what we're going to talk about in the rest of this podcast is how, what is it? What does it look like to be messed up? What does it look like to be corrected? And then how do we transition? So to, to let me try and summarize what I'm hearing and maybe that'll help others just... So, that was a lot of technical information. No, it's all good. So, you know, there are, we know that there's two sides of the brain and, and they play different roles and on how we function on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And when we begin to find ourselves engaged in a situation that could be intense, right? It could be, obviously we're talking about relationships here. Yep. And the brain circuit just says pop, like, you know what? I'm pissed or whatever, right. <laughs> you know? Right. And the circuits popped then I think that's what you're going to get into next are what are these different circuits uh, that someone might kind of have a tendency to fall into. And then I think the bigger thing, which I'm excited to talk about with you is, and how do we pull ourselves out of that? Yep. So, yeah. So um, <coughs> did I, did I capture that correctly there? Or? Yes. Okay. Yeah. That was actually a really good summation. All right. Um, I took a long time. To no, say no, it's all very succinctly. <laughs> no, I love what you said. Cause I think it's important for us to, understand it technically, but I just want to make sure that I was tracking you there as well. Yeah. And, and I want to reiterate, like, this isn't rooted in theory. This is what neuroscientists are actually proving. Um, that's actually backed up with real data and that's significant, um, because we're not making it up. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's important when we start talking about application, the application is real. Um, so when you, when your relational circuits have popped, how do I know? Well, you're in enemy mode. And there's two versions of enemy mode. Um, one is called simple enemy mode. And, and here's the, the characteristics of, of simple enemy mode. First, um, I want to make a problem person or feeling go away. Like, I don't want to sit in this tension anymore. It needs to go away. And, and to be clear, I see people as a problem. Um, you're either a problem to solve or an enemy to conquer. Got it. Um, the, the second one is, uh, I don't want to listen to what others feel or say that like it does. I don't care what you think anymore. This is how it is. Uh, that is your relational circuits have popped. If, if that's a, where you're at, uh, my mind is locked onto something upsetting. So if I'm, if I'm in this space, simple enemy mode, I can't, I can't think about anything positive. I, like I'm fixated on it, but, the, but everything is a problem is a problem is a problem. And that what will happen typically is I'm focused on one problem, but because I'm focused on that problem and my circuits are popped, everything feels like a problem. Um, so that's that piece. Um, another one is I don't want to be connected to blank, which is typically someone that I like. I don't want to be connected to them anymore. Uh, why? Because my relational circuits are popped. So I'm, I'm pulling away. Got it. It's a, it's a, genetic way of self-preservation. The problem is we execute it in spaces that we don't need to preserve ourselves. Got it. Um, I just want to get away or I fight or freeze. Um, that fight, flight, freeze mentality um, that that kicks in when we're in, when our relational circuits have popped. Here's another one. I, I more aggressively interrogate, judge, or fix others. Here's the thing. So when we do 
we do small groups in our church. We built our whole ministry model around uh, life groups. We have ground rules for the mm-hmm. groups. One of them is no fixing. No fixing. Yeah. No rescuing, no fixing. And the reason is because fixing somebody like, Hey, I have this issue. Well, if you just did, if you just read this book or did this thing or, you know, ate this way or whatever, that really isn't about them. That is about me. It's about your problem makes me feel uncomfortable. And therefore I'm going to tell you what I think you should do so that I don't feel uncomfortable anymore. Correct. So when I'm fixing somebody, it's actually rooted in selfishness. It's not helpful and it's not helpful. Um, it's, it's rooted in selfishness and it, it doesn't actually help them at all. Um, I think that, uh, one of the interesting things about that is, uh, when we try to fix people, they almost always feel demeaned. Now it's different if they ask, like, what do you think I should do? Yeah. I was just about to say that when somebody, you know, is looking for, counsel versus you just deciding to give it. Right. And that there are, I mean, you know, we are all guilty of that space, right? But there are people who kind of innately go there. They, without really caring about what it's doing, Mm. because look, look, and they want to feel good about them. Look at what I did. Yeah. Look at how I'm, I'm the man and you're not, um, look at how I had that figured out. So that being said, that is your, um, simple enemy mode and, and it's pretty basic. Uh, you can tell you're there because essentially that person be, or situation becomes a problem to fix. There's not a, there's not a connection to be had. I don't want connection. I don't care about it anymore. I just want to eliminate the problem. So I fixated on the problem. There's another kind of enemy mode, and this one feels um, even more insidious because uh, some of the relational circuits are on. So they can almost have the appearance of caring about you, but they don't. And, and this is called predatory enemy mode. So this is when your uh, relation, some of your relational circuits are on, but there's there's no connection to attachment. Like I don't need to care about you. I don't need to steward the the connection between the two of us. Um, I'm just aware enough to be able to know how to manipulate you to get what I want. Is essentially gotcha. where that is. And and before I go through this list. Uh, I, I asked uh, Michael, my coach, when we were going through this, I was like, hey, um, do people just visit this space or do are there people who actually live in this space? And he said, oh, there's some people that actually live in this space. They're called narcissists. And I was like, oh, my gosh, <clears throat> I I know some of these people. Yeah, I, I think we all do. <laughs> we all do, yeah. <laughs> Not, and the good we news is... You don't want to be around them. Yeah, the good news is I didn't feel like I was particularly one of these people, but, I mean, who knows? Yeah. Somebody else might think something different. But um, but here's, here's what predatory enemy mode looks like. Uh, I'm looking, listening, or thinking of any weaknesses that I can find in the other person. Like, they're constantly trying to measure, like, where, where are the chinks in your armor? And once they find that, they just they target it. Like I'm going to pick on that. Um, here's a, this is a funny example, but, um, I I just hired somebody on staff who has a problem with the word fart (laughs) of all the words. Like you can, you can cuss around her. You can say all kinds of things. She does no problem. But the word fart, 
and I, and I was like, Hey, that's really bad information for me to know. So now I've kind of tried to incorporate that particular word into all of our conversations, <laughs> but that's, that's exactly like in a, in a negative sense, that's sure. exactly what we're talking about. This, this trying to find a weakness so that I can exploit it. Um, I would like them to lose. Here's the interesting thing about predatory enemy mode. It's not about winning. It's about the other person losing. And, and what's scary about that is they are willing to go down with the ship to make sure that the other person loses. So when you have a boss that's in this space, like you've got to get away because they will tank everything to make sure that you lose if it's necessary. Yeah. Um, the, uh, another point I, I'm plotting my escape or covering my moves. If, if they are coming to a meeting with hidden information, yeah, that's, that's a classic predatory enemy mode. Um, like, Hey, we have, we have a problem. And then they kind of tell you on a vague, like 50,000 foot view, here's the problem. And, but then when you come to the meeting, they got like, and here's a letter and here's a statement and here's a da, 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 there's all this stuff that's that's narcissistic. That's predatory. It's predatory yeah. enemy mode. And, and that is, um, significant. So they're, they're plotting my, their escape or they're covering their moves. Um, next one is I find my attitude easy to justify that I'm right. Like I find it really easy when I'm, when I'm at you to justify it why it's right okay. And, yeah. Uh, and so, uh, that's another one. Next one. Uh, they're tracking their feelings and movements and plans, and it feels strategic. I, like every conversation is a chess match. Yep, I've seen that. <laughs> seen that first. It's like uh, this is one of those things where I was like, "Oh my gosh, I wish I'd have known this 15 years ago." Yeah, like what a difference this would have made. Yeah. Um, because I I've had, I've had bosses that were like everything, and they even said everything. Every conversation is a chess match. Yeah. I'm like, mm, no. I, I don't think that's how you should feel about yeah. it. Like, no. I don't know why that's wrong, but it feels wrong, yeah, you know? Exactly. Um, here's the next one. I know uh, what will bother the other person and how I can use that to my advantage. Because if I know that you have a problem with the word fart, then I can say it a whole bunch of times, get you flustered. Now you're not thinking clearly. I have the mental yeah. advantage. Yeah. Um, and so that, that's one of those things that, um, predatory enemy mode does. So it's scary. And I know when you look at the, listen to the list, uh, and by the way, anybody that wants this list, um, I have permission to send it to you. So if you want to email me, uh, Aaron at A-A-R-O-N at ariel-tribe.com, um, I can send you the list. Yeah, uh, just for you to have it. That's good. Um, but this is something that I'm like, oh my word. If if you're struggling with like, man, I some of those things really speak to me, or if you're struggling with, I think that might be someone that I work with, live with, yeah. whatever. Um, that would be super significant for you to have this list to work it over. So those are the two versions of enemy mode. So when your relational circuit circuits have popped. You fall into enemy mode. And what that means ultimately is everyone around me is an enemy. They're either an enemy to conquer or they're a problem to solve. Neither one of those things is true. Furthermore, if you call yourself a Christian, 
what Jesus says is you don't conquer your enemies. You bless them. Like we return cursing with blessing. That's, that's how Jesus people respond. And so we've got to be able to stay in a relational space where we can actually function that way. Um, and so it's really significant that we understand, um, what does it actually look like to have our relational circuits turned on? Um, and here's what it looks like. Um, first of all, you feel curious and want to know about what the other person is experiencing right now, right in the moment. Uh, I had a great conversation today with a guy who's a high school football coach and, um, he was talking about, uh, one of the kids made a mistake on the field and came off and another one of the coaches ran over to him and it wasn't even a, a kid from his position. Uh, this was a different area coach came over and just lit him up, like lit him up. I can't believe you did this. How can you call yourself a player? I mean, it was, mm. it was bad in front of the whole team and the grandstands. Where's the head coach in that situation? Well, um, that was part of the conversation, right? Like, okay. and that's the, that you can create that kind of culture and, and in athletics, there are coaches who do that a lot. Right. Mm -hmm. But, um, to, without even considering, man, I bet that kid feels really terrible that he just cost his team. Yeah. Like they were about to get the ball back and now they got a fresh set of downs and he feels terrible about it. I'll bet he feels terrible about that. Yeah. He doesn't Cause he just did that in front of everybody. But rather than being concerned about that, he just went over and blew him up. Not like a, hey, um, did, did, what do we learn? Let's not do that again, which is fair. Like corrective action is fair. But to just blow him up. And, 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 and here's the thing. I had, a, I had a basketball coach in high school. High school. I was 17. 17. I'm 48 now. So this was 31 years ago. Um, we, we had a... Early in high school, we had a really good basketball team, and um, the coaching staff switched, and the new coach that came in knew a ton about basketball and almost nothing about motivating kids. So we were scared to death to play for him. So yeah. our record went south in a hurry. I'm and sure. my junior year, um, we got uh, we were actually winning a game, which was rare. Um, and uh, I, I drove, got fouled, knocked down, got up, and pump my rock fist up in the air. You know, I was excited. We were going to yeah. win. Yeah. Um, after the game in front of the entire team, he told me, he said, Aaron, what are you celebrating? You're a shitty player. That's his quote. I'm Ugh. quoting him. Um, I was devastated. Yeah. And so I'm still marked by that. 31 years later, I'm mm. still marked by that. Um, we don't, we don't even consider like he'll just blow it off and move on. Nope, that stuck with me. Yep. That stuck with me. Um, those kind of things. And it, it, it would have all been completely different if we'd have just said, um, how, how, how are you feeling? Like, tell me about that moment. Like, what were you feeling? Yeah. Healthy space, healthy brains, whole brains are curious about what the person's experiencing in the moment, even in the midst of conflict. Yeah, I always like to talk about it. <clears throat> you know, we should always be on a quest to seek to understand. Mm -hmm. and, and you got to understand the heart. You know what I mean? I, I, I try to remind myself that a lot. And I feel like that's, you know, one of the things is the moment that I stop the seeking part, mm -hmm. you know, and I start making it about me, that's when it starts getting pretty slippery. Yep. Yep. It gets because, nasty. Because we just don't know, like you said, what's the other person going through? Like, 
you know, everyone's fighting a battle. I don't care what, who you are. It's, it's happening. Yeah. And, um, and when you think about that kid and that story, I mean, we all make mistakes, but, but you don't know the, the fragileness of that situation or what's going on with the kid, but the message that you just sent to the rest of the team members. Oh yeah. Is horrendous. I mean, so they start playing not to win, but playing not to mess up. Correct. And so you can apply that to the real world in the workplace. And let me tell you how that translates. You don't get creative ideas. We can't fail. Boss isn't going to like it. And so you suffocate the situation and that no different than it is on the field. Yep. Well, I hope the head coach does something about that. When the church, for example, blasts someone for making a mistake, you don't create a culture that's free of that mistake. You create a culture where people learn to hide their mistakes. Mm -hmm because they don't feel like they have the freedom to say anything. 100%. And it's not even about um, that same mistake. When I see you blow up one mistake, I, I apply that to every mistake I make in my life. Yep. So I'm not gonna share any of it. Like I'm just gonna try to give you the appearance that I have it all together because that's the only way to keep from getting lit up. Um, next one, I desire to share what the other person is feeling at that moment. I, I, I wanna understand it, I wanna share it. It's what you were talking yeah. about, seeking to understand. Next one is that I feel protective of them. Like in the midst of this conflict, I want to protect you. Yeah, it's good. That that's a healthy brain. That's not weak. That's not codependent. That's a healthy brain. That's true. Um, the other person feels like uh, they're one of my people. Like I am for you. We disagree, but I am for you. Here's a, this is a huge one. This is my favorite one. This is my favorite one. Relationships feel more important than the problem. Yeah. Uh, if you could just get that one thing right, that will transform your life. And, and I think, you know, again, to apply it to the church situation, and I'll probably get in trouble for saying this from somebody, but um, I'm going to say it anyway. How the church has dealt with the LGBTQ community or with people who are struggling with gender identity or with the issue of abortion, we make it about the issue and not about the relationship. And that is broken. That is in, improperly functioning brain work. And we perpetuate that culture in the church. So now these people who live in these spaces who are actually struggling with real problems, with real issues, they, and they really do want to explore questions of faith, they don't feel like they have a space to do that. And, and, and so what happens then is the, then the, the people on the other side of the coin take an even strong, well, if you don't, you got to take a stand. No, the relationship has to be more important than the problem. It has to be. If it isn't, then we're wrong. Yeah, I really, I really like this one just because it's so applicable on so many different levels, you know, like just in its, in its minor things. So like when I think about Jennifer and our relationship, like, okay, your blow dryer is in my sink again. That's a problem. Yep. <laughs> you know, just like little things that'll just you know, flare off the circuit. My, like, how did you do that again? My yeah. wife sets the toilet paper roll. When she takes the last of the toilet paper, she doesn't put it on the roll. She just, just sets it on top. So Every time yeah. I'm like, it takes three seconds. Yeah. 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 But the relationship is more important yeah. than the problem. Yeah, so totally. with those simple ones, that's easy. Right. But then there's these other ones like, the big ones. Hey, we're not, we like, we have a major issue in our relationship, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Um, are we going to work on it together? Well, I just think, you know, just the recent story that I was sharing with you before, like where I had something flare up with my dad mm -hmm. and I just like, 
you know, I didn't have this in front of me, but I was intentional. Like, Hey, listen, the father and son relationship is more important than any, you know what I mean? Than anything we we can work through it. You mm-hmm. know, we just got to talk through it. So yeah, I really like that. Yeah. It's so profound. And I, um, I just think, uh, if we could get this one thing, right, man, so much would change. Yeah. So much would change. If you think about with your kids, um, your kids are going to make mistakes. They're going to stay out late. They're going to drink. They're, they're going to make Whatever they're going to do, yeah. they're going to do them. The relationship is more important than the problem. So yeah. don't treat them as if the problem is the defining characteristic. You know, I, one of the things that I say all the time is I, I don't want to be defined by my worst day. Yeah. Um, yeah. And neither does anybody else. Nobody does. Nobody does. And I think we tell you, know what I mean, we all understand that we all need grace and we got to give grace. Um, but, you know, I feel like, I feel like the difference between saying it and giving it, it comes from that place of authenticity and mm-hmm. it gets back to the statement is to what degree are we valuing relationships or not? Yep. Right. And, and once we all realize that, I think it really has a great shift and you can sense it, you can feel it with somebody. And, and, um, yeah, I really, I really like that one. To me, like that's the banner of this whole thing. Yeah, and I think like so for if you're if you're listening to this, and you're like, but I don't care about relationships. Understand this: that is broken. That is a broken way of seeing the world. Yeah, it's it is it is evidence that your brain isn't functioning correctly. And the good news is we can fix it. Yeah. And 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 here's the here's the the strategy. You ready? This this is really complicated. Gratitude. That's how we re-engage the yeah. relational brain. So when the circuits have popped, how do we get ourselves back online? Gratitude. We develop um, joy yeah. in our life, and we do it through gratitude. The, the application of it is, it, it really is, like you can see how it's neurologically wired and how it's just a human basic principle much as like gravity is on this planet Mm -hmm. like think about it like you know if you go hey i'm gonna go i'm gonna go do something that's really hard physically well you can either like wow this really sucks or i'm grateful that i can actually i have two legs to run you know what i mean where others don't Mm -hmm. you know i mean i know i'm being maybe extreme or silly with it but i'm trying to use that as an example like it's amazing the spirit of gratitude that we all need to be using more right right um and, and how quickly it can just kind of snapshot us back. Like, oh, hold on, you know, circuit breakers are back on, you know, kind of a normal mode. And, yep. and so when I think back to the conversation I had with my dad, hey, my dad's still here. He's still alive. And so I don't, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to allow this situation to influence one, two, three, four, or five years because those aren't going to come back, you know? And, and how many times do we allow stuff like that to happen? And you know, we personalize stuff yep. and, you know, well, then the f- finger pointing comes out and then, then we're right back up top. Right now, like you said, now I'm looking for the problem, right? You know, where's the problem versus, uh, looking for love and grace and all those things. Yeah. I, I, you know, we talk a lot about gratitude on this podcast from a, just a pragmatic, like, Hey, this works, <laughs> you know, like it, yeah. it's worked for us. <clears throat> the funny thing about that is here we sit the neuroscience actually says gratitude is the way to develop the, well, let me say this. It's a way to develop the right side of the brain, but it's the way to re-engage the relational circuits. Yeah. 
so that we can get into those other spaces. And um, the other spaces are, are really incredible as well. But um, but this is this is so like this this has fingers in every single part of your life. Yeah, when just listening to you because this last weekend I had a chance to be with my mentor, and you know I I feel like when I start to to see or think about gratitude. What falls off of that is love, grace, forgiveness, and compassion. It, has it just to. does. It, it has just, to. Like, like so, because we're talking about in the context of relationships. Yeah. So if you're like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for that person, you know what I mean, that they're in my life. What, like, you're just, you're reaching into it. Then all of a sudden, this little flower of, of grace starts to bloom and compassion and, you know, hey, maybe what's going on. And that's why I got to, I got to take a step back and seek to understand. Like, yep. hey, what, like. I don't know what's going on. Maybe they've had a really bad year, not just a day. And like, what does that mean? And, you know, and all that, all the things that we know we got to do and should do. And, and sometimes it takes to be that first person that takes the step towards that, that then all of a sudden the other person begins to open up. And, and now, now you actually have something that's displaying, I think what we're called to do. Yeah. When, when you think about your relational capacity, like a tank of water, and every time that you're, you have gratitude for something, it dumps a bucket of water into that tank. Uh, when it, when the tank runs dry, that's when your circuits pop. Yeah. Gratitude adds water to the bucket. So the, the, the reason why that matters is because gratitude will actually increase your capacity to deal with difficult circumstances. Totally believe that. <laughs> it's like, of course it does. And not even because it makes the muscle stronger, but because it gives you a reserve to draw from. And it gives you something, it gives you, in my opinion, it gives you a target. It's almost like self-talk, that positive self-talk is not just this, you know, fuddy-duddy, you know, like, okay, I've got this or, you know what I mean? No, the, the self-positive talk is a sense of gratitude. Mm -hmm. Like, I got this, I can do this. You know what I mean? It's, it's your, the gratitude of the ability to do it. Right. And, so I, 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 I love it. Yeah. I love it because the, the takeaway from this, from my perspective is, wow, this is one of those basic things that God gave us, you know, this, this ability, um, and the opportunity to, to take control of it. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's kind of right there in front of us and there's yep. a spirit of gratitude. Yeah. And I think, um, it, developing uh, the the skill of gratitude and I, I will call it that it's a skill yeah. I don't think that people are innately gracious I think you develop it you develop your capacity to be gracious to be great have gratitude and be grateful um, it, it, it it's not difficult and there's a lot of different ways to do it but just start a gratitude list like write down every day five things you're thankful for every day before you go to bed or first time first when you wake up in the morning you know you're getting ready for your day, take it, take a few minutes and write down five things and they can be simple things. It doesn't have to be yeah. huge world changing things, even though you might have some of those that you're very grateful for. I, I, uh, I know somebody who, <clears throat> who, uh, he shared with me his, his daily habit. One of the things he does. So like when he gets out of bed, he goes over to the mirror and he puts a big smile on his face for five seconds. I mm -hmm. tried it. I was like, Oh, this is kind of freaky. Like, you know what I mean? Like I just woke up. I was like, Oh, um, all of a sudden you can like feel your spirit kind of changing in a, in a positive way. Mm. I was like, Michael, I, that's kind of a cool idea. I've never heard somebody doing that. Um, he's like, yeah, I've been doing it every day for a couple of years and it just mentally get, snaps him into, Hey, I'm grateful that I'm awake. And, I yep. was, and, it's, and he kind of treats it like a win and just kind of, here we go. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, there's, 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 there's little things like that. I use that as a little micro 
example. Yeah. Well, you, I, Google how to develop gratitude. Yeah. Google it. You'll yeah. have one billion seven hundred and thirty-seven million websites to tell you so true. how to develop gratitude. Yeah. It's not hard. Developing gratitude is not hard. You just have to be consistent at it. Mm. And, and so uh, doing that starts to get us to a place where we visit that enemy mode less. Doesn't mean you won't ever visit there, but you visit it less and you can get yourself back into normal, healthy functioning mode a lot faster. So I think when the circuit breaks, go hit the gratitude button to yep. reset it. Yep. That's a good one. That's, that's how you, that's how you reset the circus. That's awesome. This is just great content. I mean, I, I really, like I said, I, I think things like this that are biologically wired, you know, we, we live in a world. Uh, so let's talk about the gratitude aspect of that, that has the ability technically to, to measure this, to, to verify what we're talking about, to be just true. This is not something that is debatable. It's just, this is just a biological fact. And when you have that information, but then you also have the counter side, like not so much what's the problem, but what's the antidote to fixing it? And you're like, oh, gratitude. Great. It's not a pill. It's not a shot. It's not a, right. I got to go to a course or get a PhD. No, it's the power of the mind and just and, and speaking that truth into it. And so I think that, you know, so one, thanks for bringing this to the show because I, hopefully this is valuable as it is to me and everybody else. Yeah. But, um, I really hope that people are going, it's a reminder of they have the power, no matter what your situation is to rectify it and, and to redirect it and, and to really remember it's the fight for the relationship, not the problem. Yep. And when you have that spirit, then you're able to then like collectively come together and start pulling the problem apart. Yeah. And be like, okay. So, so Aaron, help me understand. Cause I got to say, this is my perspective on it. You know, right. and now, now we're in a place of like trust and respect, you know, that we've talked about right. and now we're going to get somewhere right. Versus like making assumptions. Right. And all those other crazy things that just, that's a dead end road. Yep. Yeah. I think like if you're struggling in your marriage right now, start practicing gratitude, mm -hmm. make a list daily of the things that you're grateful for, for your spouse. If you're struggling with a difficult coworker, start practicing gratitude. Um, and I would say this, it doesn't even have to be stuff that you're grateful for, for that coworker. It can just be, what, what do you have gratitude for? And it changes your perspective. Yeah. The, the other, the good news is the other person doesn't have to change. I have to get whole brained enough to be able to engage that person in a way that values the, the humanness and the relationship and the connection when I can get there problems can change. Yep. So if this is helpful for you, um, you can like it, share the podcast with somebody that needs to hear it. I, I don't know of a person that doesn't need to hear this. So we there all should need to be hear it. lots of shares on yeah. this one. Um, please rate or review the podcast. Um, that, that always helps us out a ton. Um, if you have any uh, ideas of how you develop gratitude, we'd love to hear about it. And totally. we, we'd love to follow up and share those on the show. Uh, you can email us, jason at ariel-tribe.com or aaron at ariel-tribe.com. Or uh, if you have any ideas for the show that you'd like for us to tackle, um, we'd love to hear your thoughts. And so you can email us there as well. Uh, thanks for listening. And we'll be back soon with another great show. Thanks, everyone.